Hey, check, check. All right. Yeah, it's working. Good morning. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good night. Whatever's going on where you're at. I am back and this is going to be part two of our dig into Alexander Smirnov and whatever else this connects to. Uh, Ukrainian, Russian interference, special counsel, why stuff? Who knows where all this goes? Um, I, I do have a bit of a migraine. Had a migraine for about 18 hours now. And um, I've done everything I can do to try and fight it. And it's just still there. There's a, It's not the worst migraine I've ever had. Um, but it's just there. And I'm doing everything I can to treat it. Uh, but I'm also on this dig that I really can't step away from. And so I've decided I'm just going to go ahead and try and record this episode. And if you're watching this and seeing this right now, then that means it worked out well. And I saved it and uploaded it and made it into an episode. Um, but if it doesn't go well, I'm just going to delete this. So obviously, if you're watching it, it went all right. Um, but if you detect me being a little down or if I struggle at times, I do have a bit of a migraine. But I really do feel like I feel compelled to keep chasing this this nut, right? Like to keep digging for these these acorns here. And um there, there's more here. I mean, I feel like if I step away from it for too long, even if it's just for a day that I'm going to lose some of, some of what I've got. So, um, some of the connections I've made. So we're going to, we're going to continue. If you guys are liking this, then click on my link tree and follow me on various social media places that I am at. If you would like a podcast version of the show, head on over to Substack. Uh, that is where I put out the the podcast version. The podcast version always goes out before. Now that I'm pre-recording shows, the podcast version always goes out before the video. So if you like listening more than you end up watching, you know that's your thing. Is like a listening to it like a podcast. Go to the Substack. Listen. You can listen to it on the Substack app, or you can point it towards Podbean or Apple Podcast, whatever podcast player you prefer. You can link it up there and it'll automatically populate when the episodes go out. So everything on my Substack is free, but if you would like to support what I do with a donation or a subscription, a subscription via Substack is the best way. Uh, but there's also Ko-Fi or coffee.com where you can keep my keep me caffeinated, uh, keep my French press full of coffee beans. I really appreciate that. Benson Honey Farms. I got some Benson Honey and candy right here off to the side. Got some product placement. Let me move them more into view. I don't want to hide the Ferraris, but I need to get that Benson Honey over there. Benson Honey Farms, wonderful people, wonderful products. If you need some really excellent honey candy or soaps, go there. Use the link in my link tree. It's an affiliate link. They'll kick a few dollars my way out of your purchase. Same thing with bootleg products. Delicious, all natural, just good products, uh, seasoning, salsas, chilies, all of that stuff. I love everything I have had from there. And I cook with their products almost every day here in this house. Manly Cans, if you need a gift, a manly gift for a manly man in your life, go to Manly Cans. Uh, use this affiliate link. And if you pick out a can for them, uh, a few dollars out of your purchase will get kicked my way. Merch is right here. And then Venmo, if you just want to send me a direct, you know, $5 for a coffee, just direct through Venmo. This is how you do it. I really appreciate it. A couple of you have sent me some Venmos recently. 
And thank you very much. Um, I promise to spend it all on coffee and maybe a little bit of it on some Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so, um, where were we? We were here. We finished the Smirnoff indictment last time. And there's more filings. So remember I told you that Smirnoff was indicted in California, Central District of California, because he lives in L.A. The offenses allegedly occurred in L.A. Right? But they knew he was flying into Nevada. And they timed the release, the unsealing of the indictment and his arrest with him flying into Nevada and arrested him there. Okay. So they sent these, they sent the indictment over here to Nevada and he got arrested over there and he got counsel appointed. Then they had a, a detention hearing, right? And in, in ahead of that detention hearing, um, DOJ special counsel Weiss submitted some documents, uh, saying this is why we want this guy detained. Um, he's a flight risk. And this is a long, this is a long document. We're going to go ahead and dive into this. And if my migraine is too bad, if it worsens, then I'll, I'll have to grab a parachute and re-record this, I guess. Hit delete and re-record this. But hopefully, hopefully you're listening to this and it, it works out just fine. I think it's worth going through this. Um, I think, that, I think, you know, the acorns are in the details here. So I think we need to go through these. And, um, you know, I saw a couple comments, not very many, but I saw a couple comments from the last show, uh, people saying, you know, this is really, this is kind of confusing, uh, what's going on here between special counsel Weiss saying that this guy lied. And then all this other stuff we heard or learned about the Bidens, or I've been told about the Biden crime family and what happened with Burisma and Hunter and Zlochevsky and, uh, other, other things. And I would say, if you feel confused at all. Uh, I think everybody feels a bit confused and it's totally normal. Don't worry about it. Like really don't worry at all about being a bit confused. Just take it as it comes in and, you know, this consider all of it, uh, painting part of the picture and towards the end of it, I promise you, I will wrap it up in a, in a way I will, I will frame the picture in a way that, you know, focus, focuses all of our attention on the right aspects of it. Not saying I'm going to have all the answers and know everything. I'm just saying that I, by the end of all of this, whether it's a three part series or a four part series, um, I think we'll have, and I'll, I mean, it'll be more than that because I'm going to continue following this case, but just here initially groundwork, I'm trying to do a couple, a few ser a series, um, of videos that lay out, uh, some of the connections here and who this guy is and uh, what all leads up to this. I'm, I'm trying to give a big solid foundation full of lots of, um, I don't know if it's a foundation. I, I yeah, it's, it's some foundation. Um, it's some basic structure to the building. Um, and I'm trying to give, I'm trying to give as much, as much information as I can and connections as I can. Uh, because we're we're looking into a spy v spy v spy IC versus FBI versus foreign influence versus fake news versus uh, all sorts of things, right? And um, it, it's confusing intentionally uh, on their part. So um, that is why 
I started off the first video with this and I'm going to go back to it again. Um, I, I'm this, this question from this guy is, it's just perfect. Gentlemen, a short view back to the past. 30 years ago, Niki Lauda told us, take a Drake uh, monkey, place him into the cockpit and he is able to drive the car. 30 years later, Sebastian told us, I had to start my car like a computer. It's very complicated. And Nico Rosberg said uh, he pressed during the race, I don't remember what race, the wrong button on the wheel. Question for you two both. Is Formula One driving today too complicated with 20 and more buttons on the wheel? Are you too much under effort, under pressure? Uh, what are your wishes for the future concerning the technical program um, during the race? Less buttons, more, or less and more communication with your engineers? Can I ask you who that question is to? <laughs> who, who do you want to answer it? Who's it to? Oh, he said, he said, he said it's oh, sorry. Oh, He so. didn't listen. Can you repeat the question? <laughs> so we're all in a place where it feels like it's getting too complicated. And um, we're look, looking back to see if we can uncomplicate it. All right, before I get to shipwrecked, we're going we're gonna to dive into this right here. All right, introduction. No, this again, this is DOJ asking for detention of Smirnov. Okay. They want him to be held. No condition or combination of conditions will reasonably assure the appearance of the defendant, Alexander Smirnov, as required. As discussed in more detail below, the nature and circumstances of the offense, weight of the evidence, and the fact that Smirnov's ties to the community are weak establish that Smirnov should be detained. In addition, there are four indisputable facts related to the characteristics of Smirnov that compel detention. First, he claims to have, have to have contacts with multiple foreign intelligence agencies and had plans to leave the United States two days after he was arrested last week for a months-long multi-country foreign trip. During this trip, the defendant claimed to be meeting with foreign intelligence contacts. Those foreign intelligence agencies could resettle Smirnov outside the United States if he were released. Well, that sounds like a really dang good reason to hold him. Second, he has access to over $6 million in liquid funds, more than enough money for him to live comfortably overseas for the rest of his life. Third, Smirnov did not disclose to pretrial services his access to these funds. Ah. He told pretrial services he only had $1,500 in cash on hand and $5,000 in a personal banking account. As the attached bank statements make clear, as of the end of December, Smirnov has access to more than $2.9 million, see Exhibit 4 under seal, and his wife slash girlfriend, he refers to her both ways, hereafter as DL, has access to more than $3.8 million. The, latter, the latter's funds are available to him because most of the money in DL's account originated with Smirnov and she pays his personal expenses out of her account. 
In other words, these appear to be shared funds or funds controlled by Smirnov, regardless of whose name is on the bank account. The fact that Smirnov misrepresented his assets alone should cause Smirnov to be detained because it shows that at the first opportunity, he did not provide true and complete information to pretrial services. You guys probably know, but he was arrested and then he was let go. And then he was rearrested while at his lawyer's office because special counsel Weiss and them were worried that he was going to flee the country. Fourth, as an Israeli citizen, this guy is also an Israeli citizen. Smirnov can obtain a new passport at any time by visiting an Israeli consulate. The closest Israeli consulate is approximately five hours away in Los Angeles, California. Thus, even if he turns in his U.S. and Israeli passports, pretrial services has no way to prevent him from obtaining a new Israeli passport and leaving the United States using it at any time. Statement of Facts and Procedural History Smirnov was a confidential human source, a CHS, with the FBI. As a CHS, Smirnov was assigned a handling agent, hereafter the handler. He was a special agent on an FBI squad that investigated violations of federal criminal law. Smirnov was admonished by the handler that he must provide truthful information on these series of dates. We've read that. In addition, when Smirnov was authorized to engage in illegal activity for investigative purposes, he was further admonished that, quote, under no circumstances, stances may the CHS participate in an act that constitutes obstruction of justice, such as perjury, witness tampering, witness intimidation, entrapment, fabrication, alteration, or destruction of evidence, unless such illegal activity has been authorized. When Smirnov was given this admonishment, he signed the FBI form on these dates. Despite repeated admonishments that he must provide truthful information to the FBI and that he must not fabricate evidence, Smirnov provided false derogatory information to the FBI about public official one, Joe Biden and an elected official in the Obama-Biden administration who left office in January 2017, and business person one, who is his son. So that would be Hunter Biden. In March 2019, Smirnov reported to the handler that he had a phone call with the owner of Ukrainian industrial conglomerate Burisma Holdings Limited, hereafter Burisma official one, so that's Mikola Zlochevsky, concerning Burisma's interest in acquiring a U.S. company and making an initial public offering. In reporting that conversation to the handler, Smirnov also noted that business person one, Hunter Biden, was a member of Burisma's board, a fact that was publicly known. Three years later, in June 2020, Smirnov reported for the first time two meetings in 2015 and 2016 during the Obama-Biden administration, in which he claimed executives associated with Burisma, including Burisma official one, so Zlochevsky, admitted to him that they hired business person one, Hunter, to, quote, protect us through his dad from all kinds of problems, and later that they had specifically paid $5 million to each Joe Biden and Hunter Biden when Joe Biden was still in office, so that Hunter will take care of all those issues through his dad. Referring to a criminal investigation being conducted by the then-Ukrainian Prosecutor General Shokin into Burisma and to deal with then-Ukrainian Prosecutor General. Smirnov also, I know some of this is retread, but we're going to hit it. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to retread a whole bunch. Smirnov also reported to, also reported two purported phone calls between himself and Burisma official one, wherein Burisma official one, Zlochevsky, stated that he had been forced to pay Joe Biden and Hunter, and that it would take investigators 10 years to find records of illicit payments to Joe Biden. 
The events Smirnoff first reported to the handler in June 2020 were fabrications. In truth and in fact, Smirnoff had contact with executives from Burisma in 2017, after the end of the Obama-Biden administration, and after the then-Ukrainian prosecutor had been fired in February 2016. In other words, when Public Official 1 had no ability to influence U.S. policy, and when the prosecutor general was no longer in office. In short, Smirnoff transformed his routine and unextraordinary business contacts with Burisma in 2017 and later into bribery allegations against Joe Biden, the presumptive nominee of one of, well, of the Democrat Party. When he was interviewed by FBI agents in September 2023, Smirnoff repeated some of his false claims, changed his story as to other of his claims, and promoted a new false narrative after he said he met with Russian officials. On February 14, 2024, a federal jury, grand jury in the Central District of California returned a two-count indictment charging Smirnov with one count of making false statements to federal law enforcement. That's US, 18 U.S.C. 1001 and then the fabricating information, 18 U.S.C. 1519. That same day, Smirnov was arrested in the District of Nevada as he returned to the United States on an international flight. Smirnov was scheduled to leave the United States two days later on February 16th, 2024, for a months-long multi-country trip that, by his own description, involved meetings with officials of foreign intelligence agencies and governments. This guy gets around. During his custodial interview on February 14th, Smirnov admitted that officials associated with, the Russian, intelligence, with Russian intelligence were involved in passing a story about Hunter Biden. Officials associated with Russian intelligence were involved in passing a story about Hunter Biden. Wonder who they are. Are they names that we might know? Maybe not. On February 15th, 2024, Mirnov had an initial appearance in the District of Nevada. At that time, the government moved for, for detention pursuant to 18 U.S.C. 3142 F2A and B on the basis that Smirnov posed a serious risk of flight and a serious risk of obstruction of justice. The government requested a three-day continuance of the detention hearing pursuant to 18 U.S.C. 3142 F2. A detention hearing is scheduled on February 20th, 2024. Points and authorities. The facts before this court establish that there are no conditions or combination of conditions that will reasonably assure Smirnov's appearance. Therefore, Smirnov should be detained pending trial. They want him kept in custody until it's time for him to go to trial. Detention is appropriate for the defendant. It's either a danger to the community or a flight risk. It is not necessary to prove both. Okay, goes to some legalese. It all matters, but... And it has it's, on this one. It doesn't have to be like beyond a reasonable doubt. To that, it has to. It's got to be a fifty-one percent risk. So on a one hundred, you know, if the if it's there's a fifty-one percent risk, you know, that this guy is going to flee or is a danger to society, you err on that side of caution. Uh, this seems to me like this obviously is a flight risk situation. 
All right, part A, Smirnov is charged with lying to law enforcement and fabricating evidence. The nature and circumstance of stances of the offense make clear that there are no conditions of release that will reasonably assure the appearance of Smirnov. Pretrial supervision is, at its core, based on trust. Pretrial services must trust a defendant to abide by the conditions the court imposes and to accurately report information requested by pretrial services as they attempt to police those conditions. The circumstances of the offenses charged that Smirnoff lied to his FBI handler after a 10-year relationship where the two spoke nearly every day. That's pretty interesting. They spoke nearly every day. Means that Smirnoff cannot be trusted to provide truthful information to pretrial services. Did this guy get flipped? Did this guy become a double agent? I wonder. Critically, Smirnov lied to his FBI handler after repeated admonishments that the information he provided to the FBI must be truthful. And the false information he provided was not trivial. He targeted the presumptive nominee of one of two major political parties in the United States. The effects of Smirnov's false statements and fabricated information continue to be felt to this day. Now the personal stakes for Smirnov are even higher. His freedom is on the line. If he could not be trusted to report truthful information to the FBI, uh, to, his, to his FBI handler, he could not be trusted to report truthful information to pretrial services. Part B, weight of the evidence against Smirnov is strong. As described in the indictment, the evidence against Smirnov is strong. Smirnov is charged with lying to the FBI about two meetings in late 2015-2016 and two phone calls in 2016-2017 and in 2019. Specifically, Smirnov told the FBI in 2020 that in late 2015-2016, during the Obama-Biden administration, he first met with Mikhail Zolchevsky and, uh, or no, with Burisma official number two, and that at that meeting, Burisma official two told him that they hired Hunter Biden to protect us through his dad from all sorts of problems. Smirnov also claimed that he met with Mikhail Zolchevsky, business official one, one or two months later. Around that same time, Joe Biden made a public statement that then Ukrainian Prosecutor General Viktor Shokin being corrupt and that he should be fired or removed from office, which occurred on December 9th, 2015. And that at that meeting, Burisma Official 1 admitted that he had paid Business Person 1, um, Hunter, $5 million, and Joe Biden, Public Official 1, $5 million, so that they will take care of all those issues through his dad referring to Shokin and his investigation into Burisma. The evidence at trial will, will establish that no such statements were made to Smirnov because in truth and in fact, Smirnov met the officials from Burisma for the first time in 2017, after Joe Biden had left office in January 2017, and after the then Ukrainian prosecutor general had been fired in February 2016. So what Smirnov is saying in that FD-1023 cannot be true. What he's saying about his travels and his meetings and what was said at those meetings cannot be true because the timeline doesn't work. The dates don't work. The evidence at trial will show Smirnov's story to the FBI was a fabrication, an amalgam of otherwise unremarkable business meetings and contacts that had actually occurred but at a later date than he claimed, and for the purpose of pitching Burisma on Smirnov's services and products, not for discussing bribes to Joe Biden when he was in office. 
Smirnov began to pursue business opportunities with Burisma in spring 2017, at the earliest through two associates of his. Associate one was a Ukrainian business consultant. He was introduced to Smirnov by a mutual acquaintance who told Associate One that Smirnov was an expert in IPOs in the United States. Smirnov and Associate One subsequently met in Kiev, Ukraine, and Smirnov asked Associate One to connect him to businesses in Ukraine interested in IPOs in the United States. Associate One subsequently identified Burisma as such a company. Associate Two was an American who owned a cryptocurrency business. In the spring of 2017, Smirnov presented Burisma to Associate Two as a company that might be interested in a cryptocurrency product Associate Two was trying to commercialize. Around this time, Smirnov sent Associate Two a link to the board of directors of Burisma. Smirnov specifically called out the fact that Hunter Biden was on the board and indicated that because Hunter was on the board, Smirnov thought Burisma was a company with which they could do business. Between March 2017, when Smirnov first reported on Burisma to the handler, and June 2020, when he made his false claims about uh, public official one, Joe Biden, when he was in office directly and through his son, Hunter, Smirnov had a series of routine business contacts with executives at Burisma. All of these contacts occurred in 2017 and 2018, when Joe Biden was out of office and the prosecutor had already been fired. Right. I'm going to have some Benson honey or candy. The same day, the same day he first reported on Burisma, March 1st, 2017, Smirnov messaged the handler a photograph of a business card for Burisma Official 2. In response on that same day, handler asked Smirnov, how's Burisma Official 2 fit into the story? To which Smirnov replied, this is the guy that will do the public company from their side. The handler then messaged Smirnov, looks like the CEO or owner might be business official, Burisma official one, so Mikola Zolchevsky. Either sound familiar, to which Smirnov responded with the first name of Burisma official one. The handler then asked Smirnov whether he was meeting with Burisma official one, to which Smirnov replied, no, the guy that I send you the business card of. On April 13th, 2017, the handler messaged Smirnov asking, you know who from Burisma will be in the meeting? To which Smirnov replied, not yet. We'll know after we get the, me- the email. Four days later, on April 17, 2017, Associate One sent Smirnov and Burisma Official 2 an email introducing them to each other. That same day, Associate One sent another email to Burisma Official 2 summarizing, in general terms, how a company could undertake an IPO in the United States. On or about April 27, 2017, Burisma Official 2 responded to Associate One's April 17, 2017 email. Burisma Official 2 thanked Associate 1, etc., etc. On or about May 11th, 2017, Burisma Official 4, another Burisma executive, emailed Associate 1 telling him that Burisma was not interested in the IPO. Seven days later, on May 18th, 2017, Associate 1 forwarded Burisma Official 4's email to Smirnov. On July 24, 2017, Smirnov messaged the handler, quote, cutting a deal with Burisma. We'll update you soon, bro. It's going to be a contract so we can review it first. On September 16, 2017, Associate 2, the individual who Smirnov claimed in the 2020-1023 form, attended the first meeting. 
that he had with Burisma executives in late 2015 or early 2016, which didn't happen, flew from New York to Kiev via London. Associate 2 remained in Ukraine until September 23, 2017, when he returned to the United States through London. During the six-day period that Associate 2 was in Ukraine, he and Smirnov met with representatives from Burisma, including Burisma Official 3, who is the daughter of Burisma Official 1, Mikhail Zlochevsky, to discuss cryptocurrency. The meeting was in Russia, and on the drive back from the Burisma headquarters, Smirnov described to Associate 2 what had been discussed. Smirnov told Associate 2 that the Burisma representatives were not interested in the cryptocurrency product. Smirnov did not describe to Associate 2 any of the discussion about Hunter or Joe during this meeting. On September 19, 2017, Smirnov messaged the handler photographs of business cards for Burisma Official 3, Zlochevsky's daughter. The person Smirnov claimed he met at the first meeting in 2015 or 2016 during the Obama-Biden administration and Burisma Official 4, the individual who had sent an email to Associate 1, who then forwarded it to Smirnov in May 2017. After the 2017 meeting, September 2017 meeting, Associate 2 prepared a document outlining steps that Burisma could take in order to acquire a company in the United States or use it for an IPO. Associate 2 sent this document to Smirnov on September 22, 2017. Associate 2's trip to Kiev in September 2017 was the first time he had left North America since 2011. Associate 2's travel records conclusively established that fact. Thus, he could not have attended a meeting in Kiev as Smirnov had claimed in late 2015 or early 2016 during the Obama-Biden administration. His trip to Ukraine in September 2017 was more than seven months after Joe Biden had left office and more than a year after Prosecutor General Shokin had been fired. On January 23, 2018, Associate 2 flew from Los Angeles to London. During the previous week on January 16, 2018, Smirnov messaged Associate 2 asking him, Brother, send me the name of the place in London. He replied, it's Baglioni. On January 25, 2018, so two days later, Smirnov attempted to call Associate 2. He responded downstairs getting breakfast. Smirnov said, cool, see you in a few. Both Smirnov and Associate 2 were staying at the Hotel Baglioni in London at that time. When Associate 2 was with Smirnov in London, Smirnov told Associate 2 that he had received a call from the owner of Burisma and that, that Zlochevsky was interested in doing business with them. January 26th, so a day later, Associate 2 flew from London, Associate 2 flew from London to Kiev, staying until January 30th. During that five-day period, Smirnov and Associate 2 traveled to Burisma's headquarters. Once there, they had a brief meeting with Burisma Official 2, who told them that Burisma was not interested in their cryptocurrency product. Burisma Official 2 spoke English during the meeting, and Associate 2 was able to participate. At no point during this meeting between Smirnov Associate 2 and Burisma Official 2 did Burisma Official 2 tell Smirnov that Burisma had hired Hunter Biden to protect us through his dad from all kinds of problems. All the contacts that Smirnov had with Burisma occurred no earlier than spring 2017, after the end of the Obama-Biden administration. Smirnov was only introduced to Burisma Official 2 via email on April 17, 2017. Therefore, Smirnov's claim that he had met with Burisma Official 2 in late 2015 or 2016 
during the Obama-Biden administration was false because if Smirnov had met Burisma Official 2 then, he would not have needed Associate 1 to introduce them in April 2017. Burisma Official 2 would not have thanked Associate 1 for introducing them in April 2017. As to the second meeting, the one that supposedly happened in Vienna, contrary to what Smirnov told the handler, Associate One did not meet with Smirnov and Burisma Official One at a cafe in Vienna around the time that Joe Biden made the public statement about Shokin, which occurred in December 2015. His firing occurred in December 2015. In fact, Associate One has never met or spoken with Mikola Zlochevsky. Further, based on his own travel records, Smirnov did not travel to Vienna around the time that Joe Biden made a public statement about Viktor Shokin being fired. As to the two phone calls Smirnov claimed to have in 2016 and 2017 and 2019, Smirnov told his handler that Mikola Zlochevsky said he was pushed to pay Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, had text messages and recordings that show he was coerced to make such payments, and it would take investigators 10 years to find the records of the illicit payments to Joe Biden. When Smirnov was interviewed by the FBI in September 2023, he reversed himself and said he did not speak to Mikola Zochevsky on the phone after they met in German-speaking country in early 2016. Further, Associate One has never spoken to uh, Official One. In sum, Smirnov's own travel records, emails, and messages with his handler, along with emails and travel records of the individuals who Smirnov claimed to have attended the two meetings with him, will all be used as evidence against him. Further, the individuals who participated in these meetings and phone calls will refute that there was ever any discussion of Joe Biden or Hunter Biden in those meetings or any phone calls at all. Part C, the history and characteristics of Smirnov make clear no conditions can reasonably assure his appearance. Smirnov's personal history and characteristics also weigh in favor of detention. Smirnov has very weak ties to Las Vegas. He has only lived in Las Vegas since 2022. The condominium where he lives is owned by his wife or girlfriend, DL, a fact which he, which he lied about. Um, that exhibit is under seal. He has no family in Las Vegas. To the contrary, he reports that his mother, father, and sister all reside in Israel. Smirnov lived in Israel from 1992 to 2006, longer than he has lived in the United States. He does not report any employment that is located in Las Vegas. Instead, he claims to have, quote, a security business that is registered in California, where he used to live. DL, with whom he lives, does not appear to even know what he does nor do his bank records reflect that he is in the security business, as he claims. Instead, the statements for the accounts he controls show large wire transfers from what appear to be venture capital firms and individuals. Smirnov claims to have contact with foreign intelligence agencies. While Smirnov has no ties to the community in Vegas, he does have ties, extensive ties, to uh, foreigners. Most troubling, and by his own account, contact with foreign intelligence services, including Russian intelligence agencies, and has had such contacts recently. Smirnov could use these contacts to resettle outside the United States. As noted, law enforcement knows about Smirnov's contact with officials affiliated with Russian intelligence because Smirnov himself reported on a number of those contacts to his handler. 
As described below, these contacts are extensive and extremely recent. And Smirnov had the intention of meeting with one of these officials on his upcoming planned trip overseas. This guy's definitely a double agent or triple agent. In my opinion, it seems to me anyway. A particular note, Smirnov has reported numerous contacts with Russian official one, who has been described by Smirnov in a number of ways, including as the son of a former high-ranking Russian government official, someone who purportedly controls two groups of individuals tasked with carrying out assassination efforts in a third-party country, a Russian representative to another country, and as someone with ties to a particular Russian intelligence service. This latter fact was reported by Smirnov in October 2023. In December 2023, Smirnov reported to his handler about a recent overseas trip where Smirnov attended a, a meeting with Russian official 2, who Smirnov has described as a high-ranking member of a specific Russian foreign intelligence service. According to Smirnov, the purpose of the meeting was to discuss a potential resolution to Russia's war against Ukraine. During this same trip, Smirnov apparently attended a separate meeting with Russian official one, the individual who controls groups that are engaged in overseas assassination efforts. During this meeting with Russian official one, Russian official one claimed that another individual, Russian official four, was the head of a particular unit of a Russian intelligence service, ran an intelligence operation at a club located at a particular hotel. Smirnov told the FBI handler that the Russian intelligence service intercepted phone calls made by guests at the hotel. The Russian intelligence service intercepted several calls placed by prominent U.S. persons the Russian government may use as compromat in the 2024 election, depending on who the candidate will be. Interesting. As described below, this story, which again was relayed by Smirnov to his handler in or about December 2023, appears to mirror the story that Smirnov was pushing on investigators and prosecutors during their meeting with him in September 2023, in which Smirnov pushed investigators to look into whether Hunter Biden had been recorded in a foreign hotel. Most recently, Smirnov has reported A, meetings in or about December 2023 outside the United States between top officials of another country and Russian officials, B, contact with a Russian official in November 27th, on November 27, 2023, where the Russian official provided Smirnov with information on his knowledge of certain Russian military operations in a third country, and C, contact with a Russian intelligence service operative and top Russian representative to a third country on November 8, 2023. The following is a declassified summary of additional contact, contacts that predate the contacts referenced above. This summary was prepared by the FBI and taken from several reports he made to the FBI. So this one is from October 2023. Smirnov reported he was invited to and planned to attend a birthday party of an identified individual in the Middle East, uh, Country A, which would include activities on a mega yacht, owned by a high-ranking member of Russia's largest steel and mining company. Uh, I think I know that person's name. What is the biggest one? 
2022 was Novolipetsk. Its second largest production to volume was recorded for Evroz. Okay. Novolopetsk Steel or NLNK is one of the four largest steel companies in Russia. Share of domestic crews 21%. It primarily produces flat steel products. It is the 21st largest steel maker in the world. It's owned by Vladimir Lissin is the chairman. Sergei Karatev is the president, chairman of the board. According to this chart, which ranks steel producers in the world, first Russian company on this list is that one, Novolipetsk Steel. But just in case that's incorrect, where the books. Uh, There's also this one. This would be the next biggest one, Magnitogorsk Iron and Steelworks, MMK. Its key people at list as Pavel V. Shilyaev. And then there's Evraz, which is a UK incorporated one, part owned by Russian oligarchs, it says. Roman Abramovich, yes, that's one of his. Alexander Abramov and Alexander Frolov. Okay. Then there's several stall, which is part owned by Alexei Mordashov and Alexander Shevelev. Okay. High ranking member of Russia's largest steel and mining company. Smirnov provided the names of individuals who might attend the birthday activities, including Russian official one who we identified as the son of a high-ranking Russian government official and Russian individual one, a high-ranking member of Russia state-owned defense conglomerate. In or about January 2023, Smirnov reported the following. In December 2022, Smirnov learned from a Russian foreign intelligence official the whereabouts of a particular Russian foreign intelligence officer living outside of Russia. In or about January 2023, Smirnov spoke to another Russian foreign intelligence officer who provided the first name of the Russian foreign intelligence officer living outside of the United States, or outside of Russia. On or about August 2023, Smirnov reported the following that he had been introduced to a Russian to Russian individual two, who was a high-ranking member of a Russian steel company. Russian individual two was organizing a birthday party for another person on Russian individual two's mega yacht. Russian individual two mentioned that two of the oligarchs who would be attending the party 
have connections or business ties to a high-ranking member of a Russian foreign intelligence service. Russian Official 2 Because of the language used by Russian Individual 2, Mirnov was not clear about the precise nature of the relationship between the identified Russian oligarchs and Russian Official 2, a high-ranking member of the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service. In or about October 23, 2023, Smirnov reported the following information. The planned Country A birthday party may be attended by Russian Official 1, the son of a former high-ranking official. Um, and he got a copy. Well, an associate of Smirnov provided him with a copy of Russian Official 1's passport. In or about November 2023, Smirnov reported the following information. He learned from Russian Official 1 that Russian Official 1 has direct access to the highest levels of the Russian government. Although Russian Official 1's father was a former high-ranking government official in Russia, Russian Official 1's access to the highest levels of the Russian government is direct, but not through his father. Russian Official 1 is a top unofficial representative of Russia to Country B. Smirnov provided a photograph of Russian Official 1 taken in or about November 2023 during Russian Official 1's visit to Country A. Also in November 2023, Smirnov reported that he learned from sources, including Russian Official 1, that a particular individual, Russian Official 3, is the representative of a former head of a particular unit of the Russian Intelligence Service, who we're going to call Russian Official 4. Smirnov provided information about Russian Official 4's chain of command. Smirnov named three individuals who have direct, immediate access to the highest levels of the Russian government, including the father of Russian Official 1. It's not Mazepin, is it? <laughs> Y'all probably don't know who Mazepin is. Um, in or about December 2023, Smirnov reported the following information. Smirnov learned from sources, including Russian Official 1, that a particular individual, Russian Official 3, is the representative and former head of a particular unit of the Russian intelligence service. So all of this is going and showing that this guy is having, having repeated contacts within the past six months with Russian officials, including intelligence people or people in touch with Russian intelligence and the Russian government. October 23, the end of, they discussed the seeming control of two groups of Russian operatives who were previously tasked with the assassination of a high-ranking official in country C. Russian official one offered to stop the assassination efforts in exchange for certain things, including an agreement by country C to stop targeting civilian family members of Russian officials living in Moscow. It makes me think that country C is Ukraine. And that this has to do with the assassination of, um, what's his name, Dugan? Hmm. Russian official one also provides Smirnov with a sp specific information about R Russia's military resources for a winter attack in country C. So this is going to be Ukraine. Russian official one also told Smirnov about the Russian government's intentions for their war in Ukraine. I mean, maybe it's not, maybe it's not Ukraine because they just said Ukraine here, but 
Russia didn't attack any other country besides Ukraine in the winter, so. In or about December 2023, Smirnov reported the following information. Smirnov attending a meeting in country A in December 2023 that was attended by a Russian official too. who is a high-ranking member of a Russian foreign intelligence service. The primary purpose was to discuss a potential resolution for the Russian-Ukraine war. On the same trip, Smirnov attended another meeting with Russian official one and others. He had a separate conversation, and Russian official one claimed that Russian official four, who was the head of that particular unit in the Russian intelligence service, ran an intelligence operation at a club located on a particular floor of a hotel in Country C. Well, Hunter's never been to Ukraine, so I guess Country C cannot be Ukraine. Smirnov stated the Russian intelligence service intercepted phone calls made by guests there. That they had compromat that they might use in the 2024 election, depending on who the candidates will be. In or about February 2022, Smirnov provided the following information, that when Smirnov was working in Country D, circa 2002, he conducted a joint operation to recruit two individuals, Russian official 5, Russian counselor to Country D, who was caught spying, and Country E, counselor to Country D. Smirnov also said he first met Russian official five at an event and party in country D. This is getting confusing fast with all these different vague names for people and countries. They had to leave within 48 hours or there would be adverse consequences. Approximately three years before the time of this reporting, Possibly in 2019, Smirnov traveled to Russia and met with Russian official five. So this is someone he knows from 2002. So this guy does, he has a ton of Russian contacts. Smirnov obtained a throwaway phone and foreign SIM cards and provided Russian Official 5 with the number. Smirnov indicated that a call subsequently took place between Russian Official 2 and a high-ranking member of Country C. More calls January 2022 with Russian intelligence officers and other Russian officials. guy's totally a double or triple agent third call with russian official two during the call smirnov discussed the additional escalation of russian troops along the ukraine border and asked russian official two whether he could provide any details about russia's intentions smirnov's anticipated travel from the united states on friday last week two days after his return was the perp was for the purpose of meeting with Russian intelligence officials specifically in or about January 2024, so last month, 
Smirnov provided the following information. The information was recorded in a FD-1040A, which is a CHS travel ET activity request form. E. Smirnov reported future travel and meeting itineraries to his FBI handler, which outlined travel to various countries in February 2024. Smirnov planned to meet with Russian official one, again, an operative of a Russian intelligence service. The primary purpose of the meeting with Russian official one was to discuss exchange of Russian and Ukrainian military prisoners. The meeting was set to occur in country A. Smirnov's contacts with Russian officials who are affiliated with Russian intelligence services are not benign. At this meeting with the FBI investigators in September 2023, Smirnov pushed a, pushed a new story about public official one and business person one. Again, that's Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. As described in the indictment, specifically, Smirnov wanted them to look into whether Hunter was recorded in a hotel in Kiev called the Premier Palace. Smirnov told investigators that the entire Premier Palace is, hotel is wired. He claimed that Hunter had been to the hotel many times and that he had seen video, foot, video footage of Hunter in the palace. Investigators know that Smirnov's new story is false because Hunter has never traveled to Ukraine. Smirnov suggested that investigators check to see if, if Hunter had made telephone calls from the Premier Palace Hotel since these calls would have been recorded by the Russians. Smirnov claimed to have obtained this information a month earlier by calling a high-level official in a foreign country. Smirnov also claimed to have learned this information from four different Russian officials. Smirnov told investigators that the four different Russian officials are all top officials and two are the heads of the entities they represent. These Russians said that the conversations with Ukrainians about ending the war will conclude or will include the next U.S. election. Smirnov told investigators he is involved in negotiations over ending the war and had been for the previous four months. According to Smirnov, the Russians want Ukraine to assist in influencing the U.S. election. And Smirnov thinks the tapes of Hunter Biden at the Premier Palace Hotel is all they have. Smirnov told investigators he wants to ask Hunter he wants him to ask Hunter how many times he visited and what he did while at the Premier Palace Hotel. Thus, Smirnov's efforts to spread disinformation about a candidate of one of the two major parties in the United States continues. The court should consider this conduct as well when evaluating his personal history and characteristics. What this shows is that the misinformation he is spreading is not confined to 2020. He is actively peddling new lies that could impact U.S. elections after meeting with Russian intelligence officials in November. In light of that fact, there is a serious risk he will flee in order to avoid accountability for his actions. He also has access to millions of dollars, and he did not disclose this to pretrial services. He said he only had 1500 in cash and another 5000 in his bank account. This is not true. Smirnov is the sole signatory on a Bank of America business checking account um, ending in 3928 and in the name of Avalon Group Incorporated. As of December 31st, 2023, Bank of America account 3928 had a balance of $2.9 million. 
the fact that Smirnov lied to pretrial services in his very first interaction with them establishes conclusively that there are no conditions that could reasonably assure his appearance. That is because the effectiveness of any condition or combination in pre with pretrial services relies on honesty. Smirnov uses that bank account to fund his and his wife or girlfriend's lifestyle, although the transfers themselves look like payments from a business. From February 2020, when the account was opened, through December 31st, 2022, Smirnov withdrew $1.7 million to purchase cashier's checks in the name of the Avalon Group and payable to his girlfriend. Those cashier checks were then deposited in his girlfriend's account, in some cases within 30 minutes of Smirnov withdrawing the funds to purchase the checks. For example, on October 13th, 2020, there was a withdrawal for six, excuse me, for about 600,000. A handwritten note on the withdrawal slip, uh, slip um, has a California driver's license and it's Smirnov's. Immediately following the withdrawal, this check number. Yep. Okay. October 14th, there's another one, another transaction. 600000 Smirnov also wired $780,000 in two payments to, to the girlfriend, uh, one at the end of 2020, another at the end of 2022. As of February 1st, 2024, she had $3.8 million in her Wells Fargo account. In 2022 and 2023, after Smirnov began making these substantial transfers to his girlfriend, albeit using cashier's checks that make it appear she's receiving funds from a business called the Avalon Group Incorporated. DL made payments to Smirnoff's city credit card, which is the primary means by which he pays personal expenses. Specifically in 2022, she paid $108,000 towards Smirnoff's city credit card, and in 2023, she paid 275000 Smirnoff told pretrial services that he lives with DL, the girlfriend, in a condominium she leases. That is also not true. The attached report shows she is in fact the owner, having purchased it on February 28, 2022, for the sale price of $1.4 million. In February 2022, DL purchased a condominium in Vegas, where she and Smirnov reside. While the condominium is titled in her name, she purchased it after receiving more than $2.4 million from Smirnov. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Smirnov also withdrew 174000 in cash from the account, including 60000 in 2023. In addition to DL paying his personal expenses, Smirnov also pays various personal expenses out of his accounts, including gasoline, credit card payments, restaurants, duty-free shopping, and others. The government assumes that Smirnov did not disclose these substantial assets to the court when he submitted his financial affidavit. That is because while the government has not seen the affidavit, the court appointed the Office of the Federal Public Defender to represent Smirnov at his initial appearance. So obviously, whatever he did tell them, it was of an amount that was so low, he got a public defender. If he did not disclose them, he lied to the court. In the event that Smirnov did not disclose these assets, the government respectfully requests the court release the affidavit 
to the government so that the government can consider whether to charge Smirnov with murder. He might catch another charge. Smirnov can obtain an Israeli passport any time. We already went over that, but because um, he's a dual citizen. Conclusion, based on the above, he needs to be detained. No pretrial release. Makes sense, right? Okay, so that back and forth happened. And um, he didn't, his, his lawyers argued, they, they, oh, they really didn't get, I read these, uh, I read where they uh, pushed back on some of this. And their, their defense is that Smirnov was only asked about his personal assets and not the business account. And that's why he didn't report all this other stuff. That's what his lawyers say. Regardless, they, he's still detained. They decided to keep him detained. Um, now, his lawyers are uh, Cherstov. Is that the name of it? Um, yeah, Chesnoff. That name's a bit familiar because, um, as this account, do I have it right here? Is this guy? Okay, Nimkef has a little bit, but, um, where's that other one by Nimkef? Here we go. Check this out. All right. So there's Smirnov right there. He's hiding his face, okay? And so is his cousin. We're going to talk about her in just a minute. His lawyers are David Chesnoff and Richard Schoenfield. They're, that's, who's representing, that's who he's hired, okay? Chesnoff is the former law partner of former Las Vegas mayor Oscar Goodman. Chesnoff and Schofield also represented Suge Knight. Small world, right? Hired the best, didn't he? All right, we're going to talk about this thread. It was by, it's by an account who I'm pretty sure hates Trump. I mean, it says vote blue, Slava, Ukraine. Uh, pretty sure this guy hates Trump. Or gal, whatever. Water, blue sky, blue sky social, whatever. Miss Maria, so it's a, it's a female, I assume. All right. I just want to take you through their dig because they were trying to figure out who this guy is. Now remember, this is one of those great occasions where the left is all happy because they think that Joe Biden's all innocent and this proves that Republicans have been spreading Russian disinfo and all this stuff, right? So they're all eager digging into it from that angle. But just sell, set aside their TDS. Ignore it. Uh this account found that Smirnov has a cousin in Florida named Lenore Schaefer, um, or Schaefer, whichever, who works for Gil Dazer, who was a builder, Trump's Sunny Isles, Florida, and has worked with Trump on other projects. This is her, Lenore Schaefer, or Schaefer, and there's her LinkedIn. She works with Dazer or Dazer, or whatever it is. Here's Trump with them. Okay. There's Eleanor Baranov with Michael Dazer. 
Here's a photo of Ivanka, the Dazers, uh, Eric, and uh, Don Jr. right here. Okay. So that's Michael Dazer, and then that's Gil Dazer. Okay. There's Trump right there, and there's Gil. Okay, he is in a long-term relationship, Michael Smirnov. I mean, not Michael, Alexander Smirnov, the CHS, the defendant. He's been in a long-term relationship with Diana Lavrinyuk. That's DL, the girlfriend or wife or whatever they lived with. Smirnov has significant medical issues related to his eyes, this report says, and has had seven surgeries in the past year requiring ongoing care and daily medication. He has a close relationship with a cousin in Florida, Lenore Schaefer, who is expected to be in Las Vegas for his court appearance. And she was. Here are the photos taken of him, right there, going into court, and that's her. These are photos of Alexander Smirnov leaving court yesterday. He is with a dark-haired woman. This may or may not be his cousin from Florida, but it is. Um, is it possible that Alexander Smirnov's cousin from Florida, she is an Israeli-American reality television star who was born in Ukraine, won Moscow's first Miss Jewish star pageant. So we have like a trifecta. <laughs> no, we have a quad. I don't know what, what to call it. A quadrafuck. It's we have this like. Cause it's not a trinity. It's like this four pointed. It's like this rhombus where each one point is F Smirnov is an FBI asset. And then his cousin is reality television star, also Israeli, born in Ukraine, won a pageant in Moscow. Like, ah. Reality is stranger than fiction. Schaefer moved with her family to Carmel in Israel's south, or Israel's north, from the city of Berdachev in north Ukraine. She moved to L.A. in 2006 to work in showbiz using her U.S. citizenship. She also lived in New York and worked in real estate before moving back to Israel to serve in the IAF. Okay, close relationship. He has a close relationship with this woman, allegedly. Alexander Smirnov does. And obviously he does because she went to his court appearance. So here she is. This seems to match. Yep, yep. Look at the necklace. See that necklace there? Yep, yep, looks like a match. Here's Trump International. Trump International Beach Resort, Lenore Schaefer, November 2016. Friends of Israeli Defense Force in Miami. Here she is from her, her Insta. Sunny Isles, Florida. Bentley Residence. 
first Bentley branded luxury residential tower under under contact under residential tower. Contact me for reservation pre-construction. This is Miami, Florida, November 2023. His his cousin. Our hearts go out to Israel. Here she is. Smirnov reportedly lives in L.A. There's her in Vegas. Here's Smirnov's cousin in Ukraine. I love you, Odessa, always. September 10th, 2019. Another post from Ukraine. She was in uh, Kiev, Berdyshev, Roots, Motherlands. Here she is in D.C., May 2019. Big Brother Israel, Season 6, co-star. So, she is former IDF, a beauty queen, an Israeli TV, reality TV star, born in Ukraine, visits Ukraine, obviously within the past several years, Trump Miami, Sunny Isles, and Trump International, D.C., Manhattan, Las Vegas, Smirnoff with Girlfriend, L.A., where Smirnoff was last known to have resided, and she got a beauty prize in Moscow uh, years ago. How much you want to bet that she's a asset of some intelligence agency? Someone noticed Alexander Smirnov's cousin right here. Uh, it was, that was in 2014 that she won that pageant. It was, that pageant was officiated by Israel's ambassador to Russia who declined to comment when reached by cell phone. Uh, so that is who this person went and appeared with him in court. Or was there for his hearing. What do you want to bet she was there because they were trying, like, they were hoping to get away and then she was going to make sure and get him out of the country. What do you want to bet that she's Mossad? He's a triple agent for Israel and Russia and the U.S. She's a double agent or maybe just a Mossad agent. There's some there's some stuff there's some weird stuff going on here, man. All right, so anyway, he was detained, and uh, I want to wrap this up um, shortly. Somebody did message me and identify this executive, this Barisma executive, and I want to make sure and grab that real quick. Uh, is it Tina? Yeah, shout out to Tina. I'm gonna tell her thank you right now. It is Ralph Pascucci. This is from Hunter Biden Associates with White House ties stand to get billion dollar scam and lawsuit pay scam lawsuit leaks doc show. 
Two of Hunter Byron's closest business associates lined up a potential billion-dollar deal. Let's see. Bombshell leaked documents suggest Jeffrey Cooper and convicted fraudster Devin Archer stand to gain millions. Banker Ralph Pascucci. This one says in this photo that that's Devin Archer, Ralph pa Banker Ralph Pascucci, then Vice President Joe, and then Hunter. But others are saying that this was one of the directors of Burisma. There's Cooper. There's a much younger Hunter. Does it say anything else about Pascucci in here? Nope, that's the only one. Okay, I'm going to look this guy up real quick. See if I find anything. This guy? Hmm. Ralph Pascucci. LinkedIn's going to want me to sign in, isn't it? It automatically signed me in. I don't want to be signed in. Hold up. Okay. This gives me Myriad Productions, Saratoga Springs, New York. This guy. Is that the same person? Not sure about that. It could be. I mean, this photo is 10 years old. Possibly. It's possibly the same person. Did they ever show him as a banker? Adjunct professor, video productions, president of Myriad. I mean, judge, National Academy. No, it doesn't say he's a banker. It's probably not the same guy. Ralph Pascucci. What happens when I type it into X? Let's find out. There we go, Marco Polo. Lays out in her piece on Fox News, the golf outing, which Leonard alludes to. Oh, this is from yes, this is from a couple days ago. Uh, which Leonard alludes to is the same one here. 
Ralph Pascucci is that guy. Uh, this photo is in page 222 in our report. Okay. Next capital markets team. Ralph, this is where he is a banker. Okay, here we go. Next NetRex capital markets. Netrex. Ralph Pascucci. Oxford Risk Associates. Risk manage management firm. Currently, he is principal of Sabinac Golf Club in Southampton, New York. Ralph founded Netrex Capital Markets LLC, native of Long Island. So this dude's not Burisma. Yeah. So this guy's not Burisma. No wonder uh, David C. Weiss says that that photo is not what the um, what the CHS what Smirnoff said it was. All right, feeling okay. We're gonna go. I want to get this in. I want to get this excellent thread by Stephen McIntyre in, and um, there's much more to come after this on the next episode. But but as we go, um, or before we before I end this show, I want to go through this excellent thread from from Climate Audit, um, Stephen McIntyre. Multiple pages of Smirnov indictment contain, actually, let me um, preface it with one other thing. I want to preface it with what Schiff says. Shipwreck crew says, everyone pay attention. This is why some of us in the Russia hoax corner of X were wearing sly smirks when Weiss went down this path, meaning indicting Smirnov. There was a lot happening in the time frames that are reflected in the indictment. And that information will now become central to the case the government will need to bring against Smirnov and Smirnov will use in his defense. May 2017 is the time frame when the Russia hoax investigation was kicked over to Mueller special counsel's office. And it is the time when Hunter and Joe were trying to figure out how to continue to extract money from foreign interest with Joe now out of office. Whether Smirnov just told a story or not, he didn't invent it all out of whole cloth. He was reacting to what was happening in real time. So we went through the details of that indictment. And remember, I was reminding everybody, just take it as it is. Don't react to it. Uh, just take it as, it as it's presented here. And just because he lied doesn't mean that everything about the, that we've been told about the Bidens is now a lie. Um, it also doesn't make everything we were told about them true. We have to have facts and evidence to support those things. And Smirnov's indictment challenges, um, if it's you know if Weiss is correct about it, and it seems like Weiss is, but if 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 wife Weiss is able to prove these things that Smirnov said in the 1023 are absolutely false, then we just have to factor that into our analysis. But now that we've gone through the indictment, let's read this excellent thread from Shipwreck where he picks apart a few things in it and gives context to other things. Let me zoom in a bit. 
Multiple pages of Smirnov indictment contain a series of texts from May 19th, 2020 in very large font, which Weiss characterized as, quote, expressing bias against Biden. Weiss failed to disclose that what was happening on May 19th, 2020, it was pivotal to subsequent censorship, including the laptop. Remember these where it said it's all over news in Russia and Ukraine, as well as live calls. Smells bad for Joe Biden. Dems have tried to impeach Trump for the same, even less. All those politicians are the same shit. Um, Prosecutor General and the bribe to it. Remember all those texts right here? Okay. On May 19th, 2020, the date of those texts. On May 19th, 2020, Andre Durkacz. We're back to the first episode. Remember what? Remember how we started off looking at Andre Durkacz? On May 19th, 2020, Andre Durkacz and Konstantin Kulik, the Ukrainian prosecutor who recovered $1.5 billion of embezzled funds, the only major recovery ever accomplished, held, held press conferences that, re, that released Biden Poroshenko tapes. Here is a link to the video. Now, it's, we're not going to watch the whole thing here because um, it's over an hour. But you guys may have seen this press conference before. Remember this? Um, hold on. Get this turned up. Oh, shoot. Unmute it. That's Andre Durkacz. Hello, dear viewers and listeners, colleagues. Thank you for attending our press conference. Now we want to announce the topic of our conference. Our press conference is devoted. Oops, I messed up. Our press conference is devoted to the topic, new details in the case of Burisma bribe, as well as new records of conversations testifying to international corruption and the external governance of Ukraine. What will be made public at the press conference? Here we go. This is, I just want to get this. First, today we will make public the documents revealing new details in high-profile case concerning the bribe made by representatives of the former Minister of Ecology, Lochevsky, and his gas company, Burisma, as well as the Biden family. Second, we will disclose records of telephone conversations between voices which appear to be Petro Poroshenko and Joseph Biden, testifying to the facts of international corruption and treason at the highest state level. The third part of the conference will be devoted to the presentation of the colossal demo, demo corruption network operating both in Ukraine and abroad. This network includes top officials of Ukraine and USA, diplomats, officials, and many others involved in stealing billions of money of Ukraine and American citizens. During this press conference, from a legal point of view, in the slides and text, I ask you to understand the names. Poroshenko, Biden, as people whose voices appear to be the voices of the top officials of Ukraine and the United States acting at that moment. After a resonance press conference, I think that I means recent press conference made by the commissioners Katani for Nabu, 
They caught attempting to bribe $6 million to close the case concerning Vlachevsky, Burisma, and Biden. Important information was revealed. It is crucial that while applauding the valiant law enforcement officers, the Ukrainians should know that the amount of the bribe regarding which the representatives of Burisma were caught in the act of committing a crime initially was not $6 million at all. The amount of the bribe was originally $50 million. Once again, not $6 million, but $50 million. Now we will unveil documents confirming the bribe of $50 million for closing the Burisma and the Biden family case. Konstantin Kulik, the head of a group of prosecutors of the Prosecutor General's office who investigated the theft of billions from Ukrainian-American taxpayers' money, will tell about this in detail. It was Kulik who returned $1.5 billion to the budget of Ukraine and came close to arresting another $6 billion stolen by the organized crime group of Yanukovych from Ukraine. I give him the floor. All right, we'll stop right there. If you haven't ever seen this press conference, you should. But that press conference was held on the same day that Smirnov is texting his handler. All right, next. The Durkacz press conference attracted little mainstream attention in the U.S., but was noticed in this corner of the internet over here. Uh, such as all the Spygate researchers, McIntyre and Full Nelson and a bunch of others. And here's their thread on it. This thread will provide a quick overflow of the nine hacked telecons. So we have these right here. Um, it was one of the very few people, Full Nelson was one of the very few people who covered Durkacz July 2020 press conference. In summer 2020, Dems and U.S. security states suppressed Durkacz. In September 2020, Durkacz was sanctioned by the Treasury. We covered that yesterday um, or on Monday, whatever day you're watching. Especially the last episode, we covered that. And his social media and website were erased. It was the part of the same operation as subsequent suppression of the Hunter laptop. Remember, we've watched, we've watched this clip before on this show and on Devolution Power Hour. I know Bongino has played it many times. The bottom line is Smirnov's text on May 19th, 2020 were about the Durkacz Kulik press conference of May 19th, 2020, which contained lurid and detailed corruption allegations. People forget that it was Durkacz who, in October 2019, had been the first person to report with receipts that Hunter Biden was getting $83,000 per month or a million dollars a year to be a placeholder at Burisma. U.S. media did report this, but they did not credit Durkacz for that information. Kulik was a Ukrainian prosecutor who had been lauded by Tetyana Chornoval for his role in recovering $1.5 billion in embezzled funds despite obstacles by Biden-backed allies embedded within the Ukrainian government. Kulik was later sanctioned by the U.S. The Smirnov indictment continues with a May 21, 2020 text two days later, about Ukraine opening an investigation into corruption revealed by Durkacz and Kulik. This was correct information. Zelensky announced the investigation, but later, under pressure, appears to have shut it down. I remember this text from, he said, Ukraine opening an investigation. It's going to, it's, I think it's going to help him to be elected. Um, I think they're talking, he's talking about Zelensky, but I'm not sure. We need a new runner. 
Smirnov has then, Smirnov then sent a picture of Joe and Hunter Biden golfing with Devin Archer, a Barisma director and longtime Hunter associate. Oh, was he? Wait. He didn't mean Devin as a Barisma director, does he? He was not the only person who incorrectly identified Devin Archer, a Brisbane director, as its CEO. Yeah, yeah, he's meaning Devin Archer as the Brisbane director. In June 2022-2020, Durkach and Kulik held a follow-up press conference. So remember, like, this photo that um, Smirnoff presented, it's contrary to the defendant's representation. This was not, in fact, a photograph of public official one and business person one with the CEO of Burisma. On June 22nd, 2020, Durkach and Kulik held a follow-up press conference in which they provided many further details on corruption allegations involving Burisma and the Bidens. The next press conference was on July 7th, 2020, and attracted little attention but contained an August 2016 Biden-Poroshenko tape that linked both Poroshenko and Biden to the Black Ledger operation that decapitated Manafort as Trump's campaign manager. Durkach was then deplatformed by U.S. agencies. Manafort was a plant in Trump's campaign, and if you've been watching me for a while, you know that. As a bit of housekeeping, compare the FD-1023 Grassley's that we learned about from last summer to the indictment that shows Alexander Ostapenko was associate one Burisma two uh, official is Bosarsky Burisma three is Lachevsky's daughter associate two is a U.S. person who does not speak Russian and is Smirnov's former partner. A few days after the June 22nd, 2020 Durkach Kulik press conference about Biden corruption in Ukraine, FBI Pittsburgh contacted the handler about the previous 1023 report, which had been identified by the, in the course of the preliminary assessment of Ukraine issues by the deputy, deputy AG. According to the indictment, on March 1st, 2017, Smirnov reported contact with Burisma, including Pozarski's business card. We know that Pozarski traveled to Washington and Dallas on March 7th through 11th, 2017 and included meetings with Hunter Biden and Kofor Black, Blue Star, and Aerotech. Then in April 2017, Smirnov and Pozarski exchanged emails about how Burisma might do an acquisition of a public company in the U.S., presumably as a reverse takeover. By the way, this Blue Star thing. I wonder if special counsel her found any documents at the Penn Biden center related to blue star strategies. What do you think? Hmm? Then in April, 2017, Smirnov and Pozarski exchanged emails about how Burisma might do an acquisition of a public company in the U.S., presumably as a reverse takeover. In May 2017, Burisma informed Ostapinko, that's Associate One, that Burisma's objective was a U.S.-based oil and gas company, not an IPO. 
Ostapenko forwarded the email to Smirnov. In September 2017, there was a firmly dated meeting in Kiev involving Smirnov, associate two, who is still unknown, Zolchevsky's daughter at, at which Burisma declined interest in, uh, the, the crypto product. Walk of Fire has something fascinating about this date in Kiev. That date, September 2017. The 2020 FD1023 also describes a meeting in Kiev attended by Associate 2 and Zlochevsky's daughter. Associate 2's trip to Ukraine in 2017 was his first trip outside the U.S. since 2011. The meeting in Kiev described in the 2020 FD1023 seems to be a reasonable characterization of the 2017 meeting. However, Weiss accused Smirnov of placing the meeting back in 2015-2016. Walk of Fire, with a typical miracle, he's an awesome researcher, connected the Kiev trip of Smirnov and Associate 2 to a crypto conference in Kiev that was on September 16th through 19th, 2017, the exact right dates. There's a Russiagate Easter egg here if try to find it before you read on. There's this one right here, D10E Conference, Kiev, Ukraine. Brock Pierce is speaking, Crystal Rose Pierce, Michael Kostash, Managing Partner, Crowd Mentor, Naomi Brockwell, Rainsworth Production, Jason Kind of Unsung, Jeremy Gardner of Blockchain Education Network, and more. Here's the Easter egg. One of the key figures in this conference from September 2017 in Ukraine is Michael Kostash, who is a friend of none other than Sergey Milion. Sergey Milion, who some of us think is Russian intelligence. So Smirnov and uh, Associate, Associate 2 are going to a conference where a friend of Sergey Milion is at. Hmm. Small world. Smirnov told the FBI that he and Ostapenko met Zlochevsky in Vienna a couple months later, uh, a couple months after the meeting with Burisma in Kiev, associate to Zlochevsky's daughter. I focused here on the relative chronology. The Kiev meeting was in September 2017. The FD-1023 cited in the indictment reported that Smirnov recalled that the Vienna meeting took place around the time Biden made a public statement about Shokin being corrupt and that he should be fired, removed from office. FBI placed the Vienna meeting late in 2015-2016. But watch the P carefully as to what is explicitly stated and what is assumed. The indictment carefully examined travel by key protagonists, but left out one important trip. Why didn't they discuss when, if ever, Smirnov and Ostapenko visited Vienna and why not? If they never visited Vienna, why didn't Weiss include that as a false statement in the indictment? Now, later on in the indictment, he does mention that. Weiss states that he has never traveled to Vienna, but it leaves you the question, why didn't Weiss charge that 
as an additional 1,001 count. And I said this when we were reading the indictment on the last show. Like, it looked like, I made a comment, like, it looks like all of these things could have been charged as individual lies, but he decided to charge him with just one lie for all of them, right? Um, I guess he could have. Uh, I don't know why he didn't. Maybe a prosecutor can explain. Here's what I'm wondering. It was just an idea, and it's just an idea. Placing the Kiev trip in September 2017, Smirnov's relative chronology would place his Vienna meeting with Lochevsky, if it happened, in late 2017, January 2018. Does that lead anywhere? I think so. Because on January 23rd, 2018, three months after Smirnov's trip to Kiev with Associate 2, Joe Biden gave that famous speech that infamous speech at the Council on Foreign Relations. The FD-1023 placed the meeting in Vienna to late 2015-2016 based on their assumption that the Biden statement about Shokin referred to by Smirnov was Biden's December 2015 demand for Shokin's resignation. This results in, incons this results in inconsistencies and the conclusion that Smirnov lied on the date. But if Smirnov was referring to Biden's 20, January 2018 speech, then the dates fall into place. The meeting in Kiev with Associate 2 and Burisma is then the well-attested September 2017 meeting and not some phantom doppelganger meeting in 2015. To be clear, I know, I know this is Stephen McIntyre. To be clear, I know little to nothing about Smirnov. I'm only trying to, to read the documents precisely. But the more I think about it, the more plausible this interpretation seems to me. Let's turn to specific counts. Why said, using quotation marks, that defendants claim that, quote, in late 2015-2016, during the Obama-Biden administration, he first met with Burisma Official 2. But I don't see any direct statement by Smirnov that he met Burisma executives in late 2015 or 2016. Maybe Smirnov did say that, but it is entirely possible and even probable that those dates were calculated by the FBI working backwards from an interpretation. Similarly, Weiss's charge relating to the Vienna meeting depends on the interpretation of the Biden speech cited by Smirnov as being the December 9th, 2015 speech to the RADA, rather than the January 23rd, 2018 speech to the Council on Foreign Relations in Washington. To be clear, this closing part of the thread is speculation. I welcome criticism of the idea presented here. Kevin Kleinsmith's lies about Carter Page and Crossfire Hurricane were much, much worse than the unproven allegations that Smirnov got his dates wrong. Why would Smirnov be held without bail on questionable charges? <clears throat> Picking up the thread once again this morning, according to proposed chronology, the Vienna meeting between Zlow, Zolchevsky, Smirnov, and Ostapenko took place around the time of Joe's notorious CFR speech on January 23rd, 2018, a date which occurs in Weiss's narrative about mentioning without mentioning Joe's speech. So he, Weiss even brings up that specific date 
doesn't mention the famous speech. I personally, guys, I think that's intentional. I, I really do. I think Weiss is being clever here. I think there's a clever play here, and we're just we're trying to pick up on it. Or he's done screwed up massively, right? Um, maybe in a way that actually ends up benefiting us because it highlights it. It's going to end up blowing up in a spectacular way that shows that what the what Smirnov was saying wasn't wasn't wrong, although he, maybe he got dates wrong. Um, but I don't think that's it. I think I think Smirnov. My personal opinion right now is that Smirnov did mislead his handler, but that Weiss is have there's a clever play here by Weiss in all of this that this is just the first there's another shoe that's going to drop as i explained on defected uh sunday night the very day that joe biden made his notorious and boastful speech at cfr about firing shokin all right smirnoff reportedly told associate two that he had received a call from zlochevsky about potential business so smirnoff and associate two made a second trip to kiev this time meeting with Bozarski and Bozarski in the English. Once again, Burisma wasn't interested in crypto. As mentioned previously in the indictment, otherwise very detailed about travel, it did not contain any information about Smirnov's trips to Vienna, and in particular around the time of Joe's speech to CFR. However, we now know Smirnov was in London on January 23rd, 2018. Here's another amazing doppelganger. The document-based narrative Paragraph 31 reports Smirnov and Associate 2 in London in January 2018 when Smirnov reported, reportedly got a call from Zlochevsky. The questionable 2020 FD 1023 reported Smirnov and Associate 1 in London in 2019 when Zlochevsky's called. So they just got the year wrong, it seems. See, January 23rd, 2018. From the 1023-2019 phone call. But the details are the same. January 2018 call from Zlochevsky was received when Smirnov and Associate 2 were at Hotel Baglioni in London. At time of 2019, call questioned by Weiss from Zlochevsky, Smirnov met Associate 1 near Harrods, a short walk from the hotel. And right here... From the 1023, it says Ostapenko took the meeting uh, with Ostapenko took place at a Russian coffee house near Knightsbridge Lund Street, Knightsbridge Street, located near Harrods Department Store. Next, conclusions. Let's review the chronology. Wait, wait, hold up, I think it skipped some. I think the thread broke a bit. He's adding this conclusion. Let's review the chronology defenses to counts in paragraph 57. Smirnov did not claim that he met Pozarski in late 2015-2016. He met Pozarski in September 2017 in Kiev. The meeting was in Russian and presumably Smirnov stands by this claim. Associate 2 didn't speak Russian. Smirnov arguably met Zlochevsky in Vienna, Vienna, around the time of Joe's speech to the CFR in January 2018, not December 2015. And Smirnov stands by his claim. Smirnov's telephone conversation with Zlochevsky in late February 2017 was reported to FBI in real time and noted in the March 1st, 2017, 1023, 
which mentioned references to Hunter Biden, but said they were not relevant, quote unquote. Smirnov stands by his comments. Smirnov argues that the 2020 FD-1023 is a garbled version of his telephone call with Zlochevsky while in London on January 23rd, 2018, with Associate 2 and maybe Associate 1, when Joe made his notorious CFR speech. No wonder Zlochevsky thought Smirnov was an oracle. McCarthy discusses strange handling of Weiss. Oh, this is from Andrew C. McCarthy. All right. So Stephen McIntyre giving that a giving the indictment of some scrutiny over the dates. And I love what he's doing there, trying to come up with a an explanation that makes it all coherent. Like, wait a minute, what is the most likely explanation here? It seems like you have these meetings that are, as he called it, doppelgangers of one another. And Weiss is saying that Smirnov lied about these dates. Therefore, he must be lying about what was said in these meetings. So he fabricated evidence in the form of, or fabricated, uh, or gave a false report to the FBI. He lied to the FBI in the interview later. Uh, and then he also caused a, force, a false report to be made. That 1023 that Grassley got is false. It's full of false information. Possibly false information from Andre Durkach, maybe, or maybe not directly from Andre Durkach, right? Um, it's, a tang it's a tangled web. We got a tangled web right here. And let's keep trying to untangle it. I'm going to leave you with that. I don't think I want to... Let's see. think i think that's where i want to leave it um remember that grassley said that there are 17 recordings according to that fd1023 and we've heard Zlochevsky has made this claim about these recordings. According to the 1023, the foreign national possesses 15 audio recordings of phone calls between him and Hunter Biden. Another two audio recordings involve calls between Zlochevsky and then Vice President Biden. Zlochevsky kept the recordings as a sort of insurance policy, Grassley added. Where's Zlochevsky? And what are you doing, Special Counsel David Weiss? All right, there's more. If you guys like this, hit the thumbs up on Rumble. Really appreciate it. And uh, on Substack, if you're listening on the podcast on Substack, thank you very much. Make sure and hit the like on uh, the podcast. I appreciate it. And if you're looking to support the show, my links are in my link tree. All of these right here, these affiliate links or merch or 
buy me a coffee or whatever, whatever. I appreciate it very much, guys. You, you make it possible. And uh, I still got this migraine. <laughs> so I'm going to go try and figure out what I can do to get rid of it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe I just have, have to live with it for a while. It's not the worst I've ever had. It's just, it's more annoying. Uh, but hopefully I don't have it tomorrow and I'm going to knock out another episode. And uh, we have more and more digging. I already have enough stuff for another show. I already have enough stuff for another one to two hour show. So uh, digest this one. And uh, I'll see you guys soon. Remember, we're not going to win every battle. We are going to win this war. And on the next episode, there will be much more dot connecting. Have a blessed day. Cry.